Good morning on this final day of January 2024. And um, because of the number of people commenting in the live chat about the thumbnail on this video today, which is definitely made by my wife, she has all the art skills, I don't. Um, I figure we'll just jump into that story first. I was going to save that more towards the end, but I think we can go right to this story. It comes from Novus Ordo Watch. Um, the, uh, I hate to laugh about this, but it's, I'm, I'm wondering, like, it's like they're undoing all the work of the counter-reformation at this point and much of the post counter-reformation era where the theology of the Eucharist was focused on by a lot of the greatest minds of the church, because we had this need for reiterating and teaching and really hammering home the teaching on what the last supper was, what was instituted there, what the reality of the Eucharist was, what our Lord meant when he said, this is, you know, this is my body and this is my blood, all that, what he actually meant. So we go here immediately just to this headline. German diocese officially allows Eucharistic sharing with Protestants, <laughs> which they say may as well at this point. German diocese officially allows Eucharistic sharing with Protestants. This was published two days ago, late in the day on uh, the 29th. Um, I've got a few stories along the lines of this for you today with... Um, from Germany and Austria. So, uh, <laughs> um, sacrilegious communion is some relieving, receiving the Eucharist unworthily. Obviously, scripture warns against that. The church has always basically said to receive the Eucharist needs to be a Catholic. They sort of softened that later by allowing the Orthodox to receive because they have the same theology of the Eucharist that Catholics do are close enough that they affirm the real presence of our Lord and transubstantiation. But, you, but Lutheran groups and other Protestant groups are all over the board on what the reality of the Eucharist is. Most of them don't believe in the real presence. And the ones who say they believe in the real presence then have some other theology like transignification and all sorts of other weird stuff that has nothing to do with what the church actually teaches. But again, we live in a time where love and pastoral accompaniment and being kind to others takes precedence over the truth, meaning we're here to make people feel good instead of actually love them. Because to actually love somebody is to will the best for them, which includes giving them the truth, which in the truth is that to unworthily receive the Eucharist is to eat and drink your own condemnation, to paraphrase St. Paul. Let's go into the story. The Diocese of Osnabrück in Germany is currently vacant, even from a Novus Ordo perspective. Okay, so I'm going to pause here. For those who don't know, Novus Ordo Watch is a set of a contest news outlet. However, they do magnificent reporting. They find stories that uh, nobody else reports on. So you're going to hear them say set of a contest things here. I'm not a set of a contest. They just do really good reporting. So let's start over. Diocese of Osnabrück in Germany is currently vacant even from a Novus Ordo perspective. Its most recent bishop was Franz Josef Bode, who resigned in March 25th, 2023, over his handling of Ted McCarrick's stuff in his diocese. To get an idea of what kind of shepherd had led the Catholics of Osnabrück since 1995, it suffices to know that in 2014, Bode was responsible for an abominable uh, quasi 
clothes lacking spectacle taking place in his diocesan cathedral. And he thinks highly of Dr. Stephen Gertz, a lay theologian who's on the record suggesting that a, quote, committed, loving James Martin pairing, which sees itself as a relationship of faith in the God of Jesus, might actually possess a sacramental character. This is just some background information. The big news today is something different. It turns out that just before his resignation was accepted by Pope Francis in March of 2023, Bishop Bode had approved of the introduction of Eucharistic hospitality in his diocese, also known as intercommunion with other Christians, meaning Protestants, mainly Lutherans. He wrote the four to a 76-page booklet that was published in June of 2023, which serves as the official manual for Eucharistic sharing in the diocese and was first published in connection with a big ecumenical conference that year. This news reached us only today after Cath.net reported on an interview that had published on in mid-January by the Novus Ordo news site, Osiks, I think is how you say that. The interview is a conversation by reporter Astrid Floyd with Father Renard Moliter, one of the canons, the Osnabrück Cathedral chapter, and Reverend Gunter Baum, a local Lutheran pastor. Malter explains that although allowing Eucharistic sharing is an important step toward opening a big door, it is not a revolution. Rather, he says, it is simply the acceptance of and official recognition of a reality that has long existed in the practical order. Even before I was giving communion to Lutheran Christians, he admits, but I wasn't able to officially invite them to receive. I'm glad that's different now. Let's pause here. So they've been giving sacrilegious communion for years in that diocese. But now they're implementing some rules that were quietly published last year. But now they're actually implementing them just in time for Lent for how to give the Eucharist to people who don't hold to the church's teaching on the Eucharist. As you're going to see here with how the pastor there that they're going to quote here, how he handles the, the Lutheran communion bread and wine. When you hear what he has to say, understand that there is no commonality between at least the Lutheran in particular and his flock and this cathedral where they're going to be giving the Eucharist. Traditional Catholic says Eucharistic hospitality, heretical open communion. Pretty much that's exactly what's happening here. So let's return to this. Baum, for his part, expresses his delight that there is now not only communion in the word between the two denominations, but also communion in the bread, even though they do not agree theologically on what the Holy Eucharist exactly is. Asked about such intercommunion, perhaps also happening in other places, Molitor reveals that aside from Osnabrück, there is one other German diocese working on permitting intercommunion. Here comes more of it. Not surprisingly, it is the Diocese of Rottenburg-Stuttgart, which is likely, likewise currently vacant. It was formerly headed by Bishop Gerbard first and bore before him the notorious Cardinal Walter Casper. Both Baum and Molitor are agreement that this Eucharistic sharing is not to be allowed all the time. Of course not. Naturally, we're talking about mere exceptions for special occasions, preferably events with some ecumenical significance. Examples given include funerals, school liturgies, celebrations of First Communion, confirmations, etc., meaning the pretty run-of-the-mill stuff, actually. After all, quote, Christ shed his blood for all, not just for Catholics, Molitor notes, <laughs> revealing some stunning theological prowess. <laughs> I like the snarkiness of this comment here because God wills that everyone be in the church, the Catholic church. He said as much on the cross, let them be one. Okay. The, this schisms upon schisms upon schisms that have been happening since the 11th century are not something God wants. He permits them but he does not want them to be, and they will come to an end someday. 
Now, of course, shared communion means not only that Lutherans are now officially invited to receive the invalid host at the Eucharistic celebration at a Novus Ordo church. Again, remember, this is a set of a contest news outlet that's reporting this. So when they, they do not believe that the sacraments are valid at the typical parish. So bear that in mind. It also means that Catholics are now permitted to receive the bread at a Lutheran Lord's Supper service. So you can go to your local Lutheran chapel, which might actually have a more reverent liturgy than a lot of your ordinary form parishes and receive, at least in that diocese in Germany. Pastor Baum, aware of the stupendous new responsibility in that regard, assures us that he and his co-religionists have polished their theological understanding of the Eucharist a bit. Brace yourselves for this. So here's how they handle their Eucharist. We celebrate the Lord's Supper more frequently now and treat the gifts, bread and wine, with greater delicacy. In the past, the farmer who would attend the mass, their quote liturgy, would take the remaining bread and feed it to the geese. Now we've learned that when we have Catholic fellow Christians in our services, we have to handle the bread and wine more carefully. Well, that's reassuring. So the leftover Lutheran body of Christ is no longer fed to the geese, at least not when Catholics are around. If that isn't some serious ecumenical progress, what is it if it's not some utterly sickening clown show? The Vatican II group, especially in the land of Luther, is a, a, a bad place. Now, what will the Pope say about this? That's anybody's guess, but let's not forget a few key facts here. So there's a lot of precedent for this. This has been ongoing for a long, long time. All right, here's an example. November 15th, 2015. Francis <clears throat> visited the Lutheran church in Rome and gifted a beautiful golden patent and chalice, the sacred vessels used in the celebration of the Holy Catholic Mass to the radical pastor. Do you not remember that? They have a link to it. He gifted them implements for offering the Mass to people who offer invalid sacraments. In 2018, Francis officially rejected the German church's intercommunion proposal. However, he did so only for reasons of prudence, such as bad timing and ecumenical sensitivities. He did not reject the possibility per se. And why should he? The Second Vatican Council itself admits the practice and principle under the misleading cover of sharing in the means of grace. In the 1983 Code of Canon Law and the 1990 Code of Canons for the Eastern Churches, enshrine it is church law. The 1993 Directory for the Applications of Principles and Norms on Ecumenism applies the new law further. And Pope John Paul II's 2003 encyclical Ecclesia de Eucharista confirms the practice in its theological foundation all this and explained and doc documented here. And they have where this comes from, which is 40 years ago, 30 years ago. So there you have it. They're getting ready now to offer the Eucharist to Lutherans, who their, their Lutheran pastor fully admits that they took their own Lord's Supper bread and wine and fed it to geese after their religious services. But now they're going to treat them a little more delicately after Catholics have partaken. As if the presence of Catholics who on paper are supposed to believe in the real presence, even though we know statistically that those who attend the ordinary form typically don't, as if their mere presence is going to make it suddenly something to handle with a little more gravity. Booger says, that sounds like a Monty Python sketch. If you're talking about giving it to the, uh, the, the farmer giving to his geese, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That's not the only really weird news we've got out of that part of the world, though, unfortunately. We have also this from Gloria TV, and we're going to handle this one with some delicacy also. Holy Week in Seville. This is actually in Spain, not Germany, but the James Martin crowd in the Vatican will be happy. 
Holy Week in Seville, Spain already has its poster. So there's its poster, and I'll be getting that off the screen here in a second. It was presented on the 27th of January at the headquarters of Caja Rural del Sur Foundation. Civil authorities such as the mayor were present. Reverend Marcellino Manzano represented the archbishop. The original image is an oil painting on canvas by Salustiano Garcia Cruz, said to represent the risen Christ. That image that I just got off the screen that I'm not putting back up there is supposed to be our risen Lord. Garcia Cruz was chosen by the Seville Council of Confraternities. The alleged Christ was inspired by the painter's son and looks like a typical member of the James Martin crowd. Garcia has never produced any sacred art, and as can be seen, he did not succeed in this case. I love Gloria TV's snarkiness when on these articles because, frankly, it's more than richly earned. I can tell you right now that that's not the first time I've reported on this kind of thing. It's the first time that I to my, that I remember reporting on this from Spain because, again, we're going to go back to Novus Ordo Watch here for this older article. This comes from uh, March of 2022, and I did report on this one two years ago. So their headline is Despicable Art Installation at Austrian Church for Lent. And that's, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Up, by the way, that below there, that's their tabernacle. I'm just throwing that out there. I believe there's a crucifix behind the, uh, or either a crucifix or an art depiction of a crucifix as is one of the other or the others required in a Catholic church for the mass. And I believe it's right behind that, that artwork. And they here they tell us that the beautiful 18th century church of St. John uh, Nepomucene in Innsbruck, Austria, is currently being defiled with the most despicable piece of art that is obviously meant to profane the sacred, provoke the imagination and the emotions, and make a mockery of Roman Catholicism yet again. The project comes with the official approval of notorious Bishop Hermann Glettler, the ordinary of Innsbruck, who delights in all kinds of works that allow him to express his contempt for the sacred under the cover of promoting art. Installed as a temporary altarpiece, meaning the Mass is being said in Deathing's presence in St. John's Church. The art in question is a gigantic cloth on which is printed the photo of a, of a partially, well, a man who had partially without clothing, lying on a mattress as shown above. Entitled Tired, this supposed Lenten shroud hangs prominently right above the high altar, which means that everyone's eyes are immediately directed to it upon entering the church. Clearly a perfectly edifying work for Lent to raise one's mind to the passion of Christ and to things eternal. He had an artwork like that last year too. And the pushback on it was, it was actually worse. It was, it involved uh, pigs that he had for Lent. <laughs> the pushback was so bad that he had to, he pulled them down. Now my hope is that he remembers this, learned his lesson and will just leave us the, the, the building as is and not install any kind of art at all this year. Traditional Catholics, did we just see bones holding hands? I don't know. I, I didn't see. I was trying not to look too much at that picture. Um, but yeah, I uh, th that was two years ago from uh, from Austria. So this has been a problem in the church, mostly in Europe, it seems like. I, I don't know if an American priest with, uh, we'll say, questionable taste and questionable inclinations could get away with such a display in a church in the United States. But at this point, it really, really wouldn't surprise me if they tried. Um, especially in the aftermath of fiducia supplicants, which is, I want to be clear about something. I, some people thought I was tell, saying it was time to move on from fiducia supplicants yesterday in my live stream. No, I wasn't saying that. I was saying if 
Francis wants the church to move on from Fiducia's supplicants, then he should change the subject. That's what he should do. He should stop bringing it up if he wants us to stop talking about it. Because eventually, if he stops talking about it, we'll stop talking about it. Right? That's what I was saying yesterday. But instead, they keep just adding fuel to the fire by saying, by continuing to bring it up and keep telling us how it's a blessing for the for the person's in the couple, but not of their union, which is absurd. And we know that's absurd. Almost anybody who's willing to be honest knows that it's an absurd uh, claim that they're making. Damien Killer asks, what was that was displayed in a church? That was displayed in a, in a church, I believe a cathedral. Let me double check that. Um, but yes, that was, that was displayed in the church of St. John Nepomucene, which I'm saying probably wrong, but it was in Innsbruck, Austria. And that was not the first time that was happened. It has happened multiple times in that diocese. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's uh, that, that priest has a history. The priest who runs that parish has a history of doing that. And he caused an international uproar last year when he did that. Something similar. He had like a pig's heart on display or something that was supposed to be the sacred heart. That was finally too much for people. I guess the uh, that picture you saw wasn't, but that one was too much for people. Traditional Catholic says, yeah, the Holy Francis, he did double down on it he, with fiducia supplicants. And if he would move on to his next, whatever his next agenda item is, we would stop talking about fiducia supplicants. But you notice Cardinal Fernandez has now basically disappeared from the story, from the news, probably because he's busy writing his new document, his human dignity document, which I can't wait on that. Francis or Gregory says the Pope will not stop talking about it because it's only the first step down the stairs to perdition. Pretty much, pretty much. Um, this story, I, I we will do a quick version of this one or two. I think I had something I was going to maybe say for later, and maybe I'll revisit it tomorrow. But the on the good news side, we have this story from Edward Penton. He's a uh, from his personal blog. He's a but he's a Catholic reporter. Um. So Father Bucks or Father Books is a, uh, he worked in the, he worked with uh, Pope Benedict XVI and as a theologian. And he just, and he's, he's very high profile. And when he speaks, people tend to listen. And to the point where certain Pope's planners have called him a, you know, practice, you know, flirting with set of a contism, which, because and when they say set of a contism, they mean Benedict was the real Pope Francis was not the Pope, which is not set of a contism, but he, he has hinted that he has questions about the legitimacy of Francis, but he's never actually come out and joined officially the Benny Plenist, as far as I've heard. But he, in his interview says the fiducia supplicants does not belong to the authentic magisterium and calls on Cardinal Fernandez to resign. This is a priest. He's not even a bishop. He has a lot to lose if he says these things. Remember, the lower on the ladder you are and the hierarchical ladder in the church you are, the more you have to lose. So taking these stands is actually important, and it's an act of bravery because it comes with a great deal of risk. <clears throat> but he has a lot to say here. It's actually not that long of an interview, but he does have a lot to say. He said when he was asked by, uh, by Edward Penton what the general reaction had been to Italy. So, again, general reaction. This will be laity priests and yes, bishops. And remember, I reported on a couple of weeks ago how a group of priests said they weren't going to comply, which is immediately followed by all the bishops of Italy saying you will comply. Right. That, that happened. So let's see what he has to say here. He says, quote, 
Because of their proximity to the Apostolic See, Italian bishops seem to be like dumb dogs. They approve or they dissent or they fear reprisal. Among the faithful and the non-practicing are those who consider fiducia supplicants in attempts to justify it an insult to their intelligence. Then there are those who know the doctrine of faith and morals, especially the norms of revelation, and ask the first dubium of the five cardinals sent last summer. Is it possible for the church today to teach doctrines contrary to those she has previously taught in matters of faith and morals, whether by the Pope ex cathedra or in the definitions of an ecumenical council or in the universal ordinary magisterium of bishops scattered throughout the world? For sure, fiducia supplicans does not belong to the authentic magisterium and is therefore not binding because what is affirmed in it is not contained in the written or transmitted word of God in which the church, the Roman pontiff, or the college of bishops either definitively by that solemn judgment or with ordinary and universal magisterium proposes to believe is divinely revealed. One cannot even adhere to it with religious assent of will and intellect. Meaning he's saying this thing is in conflict with the faith going all the way back to scripture and to the church fathers and anything else you care to name that is part of the actual magisterium. This document is, uh, you can't even assent to it. It's actually in that much conflict. Now that's a big statement coming from a bishop or a priest who isn't even a bishop who has a lot to lose. If he actually says these things publicly, we'll see if anybody takes action against him because <laughs> Ninth Crusade reminds us that he has a lot to lose if he doesn't say these things. That's true. Remember, he has a lot. We'll say, let's rephrase that. He has a lot to lose temporally if he says these things, meaning in the immediate material sense. But if he doesn't say these things, he has a lot more to lose in an eternal sense. Mosden says, contrast all this awful art that we were just talking about with something with someplace holy like Saint Nicholas de Chardonnay. It's really diabolical inversion. The evil one is turned on sacred spaces into sinful obscenities. And this has been going on for years. Do you remember, it was in Chris, during Christmas, I was reporting on how there was, a, or in the lead up to Christmas, probably during Advent, I reported on a nativity scene where they replaced Joseph with another, uh, another image of what looks like a, another young female. What kind, of, what kind of diabolical inversion is that? Now think about that for a moment. Yeah, Damien, he, uh, Francis's background is well-known, and I do, uh, this, I'll bring this up again. There's a book called The Great Reformer by Austin Ivory, who is a uh, professional Francis defender, professional Francis fan fiction writer is what I like to call him. He wrote the, <clears throat> that book is one of the most important you can read, but it has to be the first edition, because later editions of the book had some rather critical stuff about Francis's background in Argentina removed. If you can find a first edition of that book, do so. You will learn so much about what happened that it will probably, it will, if you have questions about whether he was even qualified to become Pope in the first place, that will help you clarify that understanding, I think. Uh, yeah, uh, Dory, he did work with the uh, authorities, we'll say, in that country a lot. You know, some really sinister ways any truth that he that he worked with him yeah there's that, that read that book first edition of austin ivory is a great reformer he kind of tries to dance around the issues i recall but it's in there but it has to be the first edition future editions omit much of that stuff for obvious reasons
Damien, I've never, I've not heard anything about that. And I don't even know who you, I don't even know who you're referring to. So, um, but yeah, let's go back to uh, Monsignor books here. I'll probably go back to this in the, in, in a future stream here in the next few days, but here we talk, he's uh, Monsignor books is talking about the January 4th press release. And was it, a, does it resolve anything? And he says, no, it says ignorance predominates in the majority of the baptized due to the fact that for decades, social issues have been preferred to catechesis. So let's pause there. Let's pause for a second. We virtually everybody admits that the church has a very real problem with catechesis. No one really disputes that. What's amazing is instead of trying to fix the problem of teaching the faith, because I think they know that there's an internal conflict in the church right now about what the faith actually is. They distract everybody with a extreme focus on the, the corporal works of mercy. Now, our Lord commanded us to do corporal works of mercy. Most of us don't do enough of them. But that should never come at the sacrifice of teaching the truth. And that is what he's saying here. He says, for irregular people who conform to nature and then the James Martin types, what now applies is, well, love. Those who use logic are opposed to it. And then the second dubium of the cardinals arises. Is it possible that under certain circumstances, a pastor could bless pairings between James Martin types, thus suggesting that James Martin behavior as such would not be contrary to God's law and the person's path to God? Tied to this dubium is another. Does the teaching upheld by the universal ordinary magisterium continue to be valid? That every act of the suitable to the married state outside of holy matrimony, and in particular James Martin activities, constitutes an objectively grave sin against the law of God, regardless of the circumstances which it takes place and the intention with which it's carried out. That's the question. So the January 4th statement is a classic attempt to paper over the cracks. There's more to it. I think we'll go over that more in the future. He, he's not a fan of the clarification because it's a non-clarification. It doesn't actually clear up anything. Um, you know what Francis needs prayers in a 12 step program. Well, he definitely needs prayers. I'm not sure. I don't know what the, uh, um, what, what program he would need. Um, Raven Ray, there's been a long problem of, uh, rosaries with sort of, uh, diabolical invocations set over them being made. And, and I've heard about that from the Philippines before, but that's why you should always get rosaries from a trusted manufacturer. Just make it yourself. All right, folks, if there's any final thoughts in the chat, this is the time to bring them up because we will wrap this up. I've got a interesting video for you today as usual. The, um, <clears throat> the news of the day always continues to get more and more interesting, as they say. Um, and make sure to hit like if you haven't. There are some people who, you know, the trolls are out in force again, who apparently think you should give the Eucharist to those who don't believe in the real presence and those who are actual formal schism with the church. How is it possible to remain in the false church? Well, I'm a big believer in the uh, sort of the ape of the church parallel church hypothesis. And that that's what we, we've been seeing it for decades, but it's really just being fully manifested now. Musden also says, always have your sacramentals blessed. Yeah, if you're wearing, if you wear the brown scapular, if you have a rosary, whatever, make sure to get blessed by a priest, preferably a traditional priest. 
All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in today. Um, pray for everybody we spoke about today. The uh, Bishop of Innsbruck, the uh, the or the priest of Innsbruck, the priest in Seville, and of course everybody involved in that uh, false Eucharist story. Um, and as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein, Ave Maria.